Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are still in our series on joy, and the conversation today is called A Heaven Now. The question for you all to get started with is, how was heaven described to you as a child? Enjoy. My grandma growing up, my Mimi, had a big beehive hairdo, which she bleached black till the day that she died. And she drove a giant brown Buick, as one does. And I remember being about 10 years old and sitting in this beautiful brown Buick, you know, like the seat that goes all the way across and days and age where no seatbelt laws were even active yet. And I'm sitting in the front of her car and then like, this is my Mimi. She's somebody who's like taught me about the Bible and about God. And I can see her putting in this cassette into her Buick and it is the Left Behind series. <laughs> and I hear the narrative, yeah, Left Behind fans, all right, yeah, that is, yeah, I love it. Very gross, very gross. Um, and I remember hearing the story, and they're in a plane, and all these people disappear, and they're talking about what happened. I remember being like 10 years old, in panic inside, and realizing like, shit, I'm gonna miss the rapture. You know, like, this is scary. And for so many of us, the view that we've been given of heaven or the eternal or hell has been terrifying. And for lots of us, like the view that we were given of heaven is there's just not going to be a lot of people there, right? And the people that are there, I don't even want to be around. So that's sad. And then you have like the youth pastors tries to be like really encouraging what heaven's going to be. It's going to be like, a rock band worship service that never ends for Jesus. I'm like, that sounds awful. That sounds really boring and awful. So like for all of eternity, I'm singing Chris Tomlin. Yeah, that's called hell. A big, big house. No one? No one? No? Come on, go here. No one's gonna get into it? Yeah. Yeah. How many of you know what they're singing? How many of you are so glad that you do not know what they're singing? Yes. Praise God for you all. The rest of you enjoy therapy. We would love to help pay your bills. <clears throat> you get therapy. You get therapy. I think that the view of heaven that most of us were given is problematic in a lot of ways for the implications of that heaven about the story that we were told and how does that actually affect my real life here and now. And that's what I wanna talk about today, is how does the view of heaven that we were given impact our capacity to have joy in this real and present world? Or do we need to reclaim some views of heaven that help us understand it in a way that is actually more orthodox and fits within 2,000 years of Christian history, not the heaven that was given most to us, which is an evangelical view of heaven that's about 150 years old, by the way. Not that old, not that complex, but it's a story that we have. So to talk about heaven, we gotta do a few things. We gotta talk about words that matter. And then if we can talk about some words that matter, then we're gonna to join together two dimensions, very Twilight Zone-ish. And then if we can join together two dimensions, then we can honestly talk about who's in and who's out. Huh? Huh? Terrifying. Uh, and then if we can do that, then we'll talk about Bill Gates. And you see where I'm going there. And then if we talk about Bill Gates, we'll talk about is it there or is it here? And if we can do that, then we can talk about the rapture of Kirk Cameron and Left Behind and talk about how you throw those books away. And then finally, we can talk about what it means to be citizens of joy. 
So with that, follow along with me in Philippians chapter 1. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Pause here. Remember, Paul is in prison. That's what Philippians is about. And even though Paul is in prison and suffering, the major themes that he talks about in the book of Philippians is joy and good news. And for many of us in here, we might not be incarcerated, but there's many of us in this room who feel like you are in prison in your own mind, in your own body, in your own emotions, or in your own life. And you too would like freedom or deliverance from your current state. That's real. And what it's saying is even if you are in that prison, how does joy in the midst of suffering shape your narrative and maybe even more importantly, the narrative of the world around us? That's where Paul's going. And that's what he's rejoicing in. That there's a bigger story of good news even in the midst of our circumstances and the suffering that we might find ourselves in. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you'll have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. And above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. So we got to do some things. We got to kind of think through some words that a lot of us were given that we've been given in a way that's kind of unhelpful. If we go back to the verse, the, the part that I want to look at is above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. I want to rethink the word heaven. I want to rethink the word good news. And I want to rethink the word Christ so that we can use it in a way that's actually helpful and meaningful for our actual lives. Most of the story that we were given about heaven is that heaven is this thing um, that really is about the separation of things, right? There is God in heaven, and for those of the people that have done the right things and signed their pledge cards and gone to the altar, right, and they carry their Bible with leather, name engraved, like all the things you're supposed to do, right? There's some like guilty laughs. There's some people like, there's a physical Bible? What is that, right? <laughs> Amazing. That's what it means to go to heaven. But a lot of the way that we talk about it is, is separation. And it's something that happens out there. It's a destination and not a journey. And yet all of what I believe about the scriptures is that it's talking about heaven, not as two separate dimensions, but about two realities that live simultaneously with one another. People ask me all of the time, Corey, how did you become LGBTQ affirming? And where did you get this theology? And, and what is it about empowering women? And, and what do you think about? And it's like, I believe in all of those things, but that's not where I begin. Where I begin is the reality of an inclusive God where heaven and earth are not separated, but the reality is that these things always coexist. And most of the stories that we were given is, is of an exclusive God. God is seeking to exclude things so that this God can be happy. Instead of starting, no, 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 that's actually not where the scriptures begin. Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is literally how the Bible starts, that these things go together. That it's not a place where like God lives and where humans live and that these things don't interact. It's a reality of talking about what reality is. There's a reality of incarnation is what we get to, where it's always meant to be that 100% of humanity and 100% of the divine coexist. That's what it means to be human. That we are made in the image of God. That's the thing that we are being reminded of. Talking about the realities of a heaven and an earth, we have missed over the last 150 years because in this country, we have been so terrified of culture and science that we have been defensively reacting to those things and taking the Bible so literally that we don't take it seriously. So when we get to a passage like this, where we're trying to talk about heavens and earth and talking about how these things go together, we're too busy arguing like, well, was Darwin correct? And what is actually a day? And what the Bible says here, and did Adam and Eve really have belly buttons? You're missing the point. It's a poem, people. It's metaphor. It's mythology for a reason. And that doesn't make it less true. It makes it more true. It's trying to teach you a deeper reality about what God wants in the world, about how God actually sees reality. And the reality in which God envisions for humanity is heaven and earth are like this. It's not heaven over here and earth down here, and this God is looking down, shaking God's head, saying, they're bad. No, but that's the story that many of us have been given. How do I know this? Let's look at the rest of the Bible. Look at Luke chapter 3. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. This is the good news that we live into because we live into this news through Christ. Here's what's going on here. Is the story that Jesus came and is constantly trying to talk to people about how they go up on the elevator? No. The story is always the heavens are being opened and God is coming in bodily form to you. If God hated this world so much, if God hated flesh so much, if God hated creation so much, then why is God constantly on a journey towards us? And why does Jesus never, and you want to quote me on this? Have fun reading. Never talk about your journey up. Jesus does not come and spend most of his time talking about atonement theory and what the cross means and blood and how bad you've been and you had to make God happy because of how bad you've been. What does Jesus do? But that's the story we've been given. Jesus lives out incarnation. Jesus shows you how to be human. Jesus shows you how to love other human beings and to remind them that they were always made in the image of this God. That's 100% of the time what Jesus is doing. And Jesus' motto is just like camping, leave it better than you found it. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus' motto is not like, say the sinner's prayer, come to the altar 40 times, sign the pledge card. Because what is that actually conveying? What's the implications of that? You don't actually believe in the freedom you have. You are terrified of, the, of whatever you think that you have. So much so that you have to keep raising your hand because you think that Jesus came to change uh, God's mind about you right? But Jesus came to change our minds about God. What a different story. Well, we can clap for that because that's good. All right, yeah. I stole that from Richard Rohr and I'm not going to quote him. But that's the reality of what Jesus is always doing. 
That's why Jesus will go to the demon-possessed. And these are the people that no one can touch because they're filled with demons. And Jesus heals that person, frees them from their oppression, and leaves them better than they found them. Because that's the work of what God does. God comes to us in our brokenness and our pain. God is not demanding that we come to this God. What about the woman at the well? What about the woman caught in adultery? What about the lepers? What about every single story that you see of Jesus? It is a story of incarnation and good news and inclusivity where this God comes towards humanity. But unfortunately, most of the narratives and most of the pain that we have in here are people living out a heaven that is incredibly exclusive and only a few people at that church who said those specific prayers got in. And like we already said, you don't even wanna hang out with those people. So imagine the implications that can change when we actually see the Bible for what it's saying. What's so interesting to me is that conservative and fundamentalist Christianity is obsessed with Genesis and Revelation. And Genesis and Revelation are some of the most inclusive books that there are. Revelation 21, if you don't believe me. The very first words of the Bible are that God creates heaven and earth to be together. And some of the very last words of the Bible are this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone poetry. And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. What's the final story that the Bible is trying to paint? God is always working towards the reconciliation of all things, and this God is always moving towards us. Heaven is not a place where a few exclusive people get to escape to at the end of their lives. Heaven is a reality here and now that we live out in these present moments. How do we know this? Because that's what Jesus modeled for us. Jesus was not sitting around doing altar calls. Don't you find that interesting? Jesus was sitting around healing people in their pain right now with what's going on in these moments. Heaven needs to be redefined and reclaimed for us, not as an abstract thing that happens down the road, but as a present reality that happens in these moments. That changes everything for actually how we live our lives. What are the implications for that? Global warming. If you believe in the rapture and you believe that God hates this place and this place is awful, your viewpoint, because I have these family members, God bless their soul, and they will never, ever listen to this podcast, I promise you, (laughs) is that it's fake news. None of this matters because Jesus is coming back. Let the whole thing burn because we got to get out of here, out of this corrupt, evil world right? Because God doesn't even like it. I know that's the extreme version of it, but that's the version that many of us have in our own hearts about what we think that God thinks about us. Is that God's so disappointed in us and trying to get us out of here because out here in this mythological land, that's where all the healing happens. Instead, Jesus is saying, no, I want to do work with you right here. What are the implications if you believe that you're living out the realities of heaven now? Imagine your impact on your consumption, Imagine your impact on how you see other people. Imagine your impact if you believe that the reality for this world is that God and humanity belong together. If that actually shapes your life, how does that impact the way that you live your life? Because here's what I believe. I don't actually believe the people who talk about hell all the time or heaven believe the narrative that they're telling or the stories that they're selling. Here's why. If you really believed that all of humanity was gonna be in eternal damnation and only like seven of you were going to heaven, You would never have an iPhone and you would always be out there picketing on the street with your, what is that thing called? Yeah, the bullhorn, right? If you really believe that all of humanity was going to hell, if you were honest and integrous with yourself, you would be telling people that every single day. Instead, it's convenient to think, I guess I'm good. It's kind of like a country club. Like I know what goes on outside, but in here, it's pretty nice. 
you know? And I think that's true. And what's challenging for me is that there's people in this world who are way better citizens of heaven than I think Christians are a lot of times. A good example for that for me is Bill Gates. Bill Gates is somebody who I believe is actually practicing what he preaches. That he's not a person of faith, but he's a person who believes so much in the value and dignity of every other human being that he's going to give all of his wealth to tackle the plights and the pains and the suffering of planet Earth. So much so that he's getting other billionaires to give their money towards it. That Bill Gates has been on a mission to deal with polio in our world. And that over the last 10 years, they've gotten polio numbers down from the thousands to 33 last year. And for Bill Gates and for the Gates Foundation, about four years ago, they were sitting in a meeting because polio numbers were going back up and his staff came to him and they said, we think we need to spend about $400 million instead of $200 million on polio this year. And he looked them all in the eye and he said, I think what you all did here in this moment is you gave me the number that you thought would be acceptable and that you would get money for, not the number that we need to eradicate the disease on planet Earth. So he says, what's the number and what do we need to do? And they said, $6 billion. And he said, let's do it. Because every life matters. This is a guy who believes in what he's saying and is practicing what he preaches. You may not have $6 billion. And if you do, I don't know why you haven't shared that with me. (laughs) But seriously, share that with me. But you have something. You have some time, some energy, some gift, something to offer. You have some suffering that is unique to you that another human being needs to find their healing and their transformation and their maturity in the world. And they don't need it 80 years from now with cherubs and Philadelphia cream cheese and harps. (laughs) They need it with you now. They need your narrative now. They need you to be a citizen of heaven in this place, not some afterlife to come. And that's what Paul's trying to get at here. Heaven is not a reality later. It's how you live your life now. That's why you're a citizen of this thing. Going back to that verse, look how it's even spelled out for you. That above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. And this is incredibly political in Paul's time. Here's why. He's not saying you must be citizens of Rome. Because if you lived in Rome in Paul's day and you were a citizen of Rome, life was good for you. And what the Romans would do if they were citizens is that they would tell their good news. And I say this all in here all the time. Good news, the word euangelion in Greek for gospel did not come from Jesus. That word came from Caesar 70 years before Jesus ever walked the earth. And Caesar would go about whenever he would go into a new territory and pronounce the good news of Caesar in Pax Romana, which meant this. If you're a citizen of Rome, life is good for you. Why we rape and pillage and kill the barbarians at the edge of the empire. Sounds a lot like the United States, right? I want life to be good for you in suburbia or wherever you live and whatever we're doing out there. Don't worry about the military-industrial complex. It's peaceful. It's not. That's why this is incredibly political. And that's why he says, talk about the worthy, in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ, not the good news that's worthy of this country. Not a good news that's worthy of your kingdom because you're the CEO of your reality. No, it's a reality in a kingdom that's bigger than you is what you're being invited into. The word Christ comes from the word Messiah in Hebrew, which simply means king which means are you participating in a different kind of kingdom where you're living out this good news where you so believe that you're loved and enjoyed by God and that you're a child of God that you can remind every other human being to be that as well. That's the good news that you get to live out. That's the kind of kingdom that you need to proclaim. And you do that when you're living out that kind of citizenship. Forgive us that we so believe that we're citizens of the United States of America before we believe that we're citizens of heaven. 
Forgive us that there are children and families sitting at a border because we told them that your citizenship from la la la, your citizenship from somewhere else doesn't matter. Forgive us because we're so believing in another kingdom than the kingdom that we are professing. Because if we believed in it, we would be giving whatever time, energy, and effort that we have to changing the world. And it's not always about the capacity that you have to change and eradicate polio, right? It's about what kind of capacity do you have to change the world where you're at. What are the implications about the heaven that you actually believe in? Does the heaven and the faith and the story of God that you believe in have any impact here? I remember being in South Africa uh, about 12 years ago, and we were in these uh, this black and colored communities, which means something very different in South Africa than, than it means in the United States. And, and in these communities, there's the highest population of HIV that there is in the world for, for concentration. And there's a bunch of 14-year-olds who have kids who have HIV, and they're giving HIV to their children. And I remember talking to the missionaries and the doctors and the faith leaders there, because what you have in front of you is something that happens all over planet Earth. Spoiler alert, teenagers have sex. I know, I know, it's shocking. And so I say to these faith leaders, why don't you just give them condoms? And they're like, oh, we could never give them condoms. We need to talk to them about abstinence and lead them to Jesus. I'm like, they're dying. They're literally dying right in front of you. And you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You're going to allow people to die. For what? So that you can preserve an ideology and a theology that you don't actually believe in? How about we change our practices and say there's implications about what we actually believe in. There's a different kind of good news that we actually have to live out. And it may impact the way that we live our lives. And then maybe we too, as citizens in this heaven, will be like Jesus and we'll leave it better than we found it. And that's difficult. It will be difficult in your homes to leave it better than you found it. It will be difficult in the relationships that you have been entrusted with to leave it better than you found it. It is difficult right now as Americans and the rate in which we consume to leave Mother Earth better than we found it. We're talking about it, but it will take a lot of effort. Politically, it will require a lot of energy, time, effort, and money to leave the world better than we found it. As a church, to tell the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2019, it will take a lot of energy, effort, integrity, and honesty by all of us to leave it better than we found it. Because you want to know why? What's the organization that, uh, I really just lost my focus there. James Dobson leads? Thank you so much for getting me back there. They raised $150 million last year. They're telling a narrative as well. And I think that if we want to change the world, we got to put our money where our mouth is, our time where our mouth is, our energy where our mouth is, our efforts where our mouth is. We got to tell our stories in a way that are meaningful and impactful because I literally believe that there's people dying out there, not in like the old school, they're going to hell way, but literally their lives here and now. And that we have a gift of hope and healing and we get to do that through our joy to offer the world. I want to take a look at these citizens of heaven. These are people who I think that we all know about that they are these great archetypes who just set the standard for what it means to live as citizens of heaven, right? Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks and Gandhi and Mother Teresa, Desmond Tutu, Bill Gates, the Dalai Lama. And here's the reality. All of us here, we might not impact the world in this way. But the question is, how are we good citizens of heaven for the worlds and the realities that we have right in front of us? How do we treat people with compassion who are right next to us? How do we treat people with compassion who are in our homes? 
How do we treat people with kindness that are around us? That's how we get to be citizens of heaven. We get to live out a different reality because we get to remind them of something bigger than ourselves. And here's the reality. For some of those people that are close to you, you're going to live into a reality where you need to have healthy boundaries and it's not your job to necessarily care for them, but you can still honor them and give them dignity and integrity. That the work of this kingdom is easy to say. It's incredibly difficult to live out. And so the challenge for all of us is, do we live with joy in the real citizenship of heaven that we live into? Are we just telling some narrative that we don't actually believe in? Or do we believe in a heaven and an earth that have always been connected? Where, as Jesus said, our Father in heaven, our Mother in heaven, hallowed be your name. Would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? It's a story of saying this, would your reality, would your bigger picture be present in my life right now? And would I live that thing out? Would I not just pray about those things? Would I enact those prayers in my life? Would I be a citizen for other people? And then here's also what happens. I desperately need other people to be citizens of heaven in my life. Last night I was laying in bed, it's like 10.30, and, and Carissa's gone, she's hanging out with some, some friends, and I'm just kind of sitting in bed by myself having like the existential moment where it's just like you and your pillow and it's dark and you're like, gosh, life sucks. Um, and I was thinking about the sermon. I was saying, I'm, I'm ready to preach tomorrow content-wise. I'm not ready. I'm not ready inside. God, the things that I so value and believe in in this world, that I tell people every week, it's the mission of my life to remind us all, to reverse the amnesia that we are sons and daughters of the divine, that we are loved by this God, that we are liked by this God. As I laid in bed last night, it's like, I'm not likable. And I was just having the biggest pity party you could ever imagine for yourself. And I'm just praying like, God, I need you. I'm laying in bed and my six-year-old walks in the room. He's like, Dad, can I use your bathroom? And I was like, you have your own, but come on, you know. <laughs> Thanks for stinking up my place. You got your own, dude. And really, all he was doing is I think he just wanted to see if I was awake. Because sometimes he sits in his bunk bed and he's got a little lamp and he'll read or he'll color and he'll do things and he's still awake. And he came in the room and he knew that I was awake. He said, hold on a second, Dad, I got to go get something for you. And he comes back out of his bunk bed. And he has this little sheet of paper and he said, I wrote you a song. And he starts to sing this song. He sings it to me in his little Disney voice, right? Yeah. I love my dad. I love my dad because he's so kind to me. And I just, bah! oh, God, I'm laying here. and just telling, I want to talk about citizens of heaven tomorrow. Bah! Right? But like, I didn't have the vulnerability to cry in front of him. I'm like, thank you, Caden. And then he laughed and it's like pillow over face. Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not too weak to cry in front of my child. No, it was awful. <laughs> and I needed it. I needed someone else to be a citizen of heaven for me in that moment. And would you trust the gifts of God in your life that you're surrounded by citizens of heaven who are enacting that reality now? And if you can't believe about yourself that you were made in this God's image, that you are a child of this God, that you were loved by this God, that you were liked by this God, then look in the face of somebody before you leave here and let them remind you of that reality. That's the good work that we're doing with one another. That's the good news and reality that we're living out. Would you find those same groups and would you answer this question? Where in your life can you live out heaven now? If that question works for you, great. If not, talk about whatever you want. Enjoy.
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.